Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Good morning. If I haven't met you, uh, good to meet you. So uh, Nick brought in a guest speaker to teach on money. It's a chicken. You know, what's funny, I thought about this, is that, I don't know if you remember it, I don't know how many years ago it was when we were meeting in the high school, you came and preached on money in my church, and I wasn't there, though, I was at, I, was, I, I left town, yeah, I left town, you know, I said, go ahead, Nick, do your thing. Hey, how many of you heard that uh, somebody in L- L.A. won a billion-dollar lotto two weeks ago? Did you guys read that? Someone in L.A. walked into a store and won an over a billion dollar lottery or lotto ticket. I mean, so when we read things or hear things like Kath told me about it one day in the car, what's the first thing you do? You go, wow, what would we do? What would we do if we won a billion dollars? And, you know, the first thing you do, you get all spiritual, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, you know, I'd give a lot of it to the, you know, to the church and, you know. And then you go to the beach house, and then you go to the house in Lake Tahoe, which is what we dream of, right on the, right on the lake, and multiple homes and multiple vacations, you know, and then you come back to, you know, we'd give some to our kids, you know, and then you'd go back to, you know, you know, so, I mean, we all have these times when we just go, what would we do if? What I'm going to teach this morning, I'm going to teach, it's almost for me, this is going to be different for me. I don't teach this way, honestly, normally. This is different for me. Um, The way I teach is not this style of what I'm doing today. I almost feel like Dave Ramsey today. (laughs) And um, just teaching principles of of financial wisdom from the book of Proverbs. And I want to just say to you as we begin, though, that the, the, the tendency is to hear what I'm going to say, and a lot of it is familiar, a lot of it you already have heard hundreds of times. You've been to countless seminars or classes or read books on these things. So nothing will be new. So the danger is not hearing it as the word of God. But simply thinking of it as quaint suggestions for financial prosperity. No, we're looking at God's word. We're looking at what the Lord himself says to us about this very important subject of money. Um, I'm going to have today to do a little bit of a disclaimer. I'm going to use a lot of personal stories and examples, which, again, is not my norm. Um, So I'm hoping you don't bore with some of the things I'm going to say to you out of my own life. Um, And I'm going to try not to ramble as I do that. I don't know. This could be a very short teaching, but the way I'm starting, it won't be. Or it could be... (laughs) Or it could be a, a long teaching. <laughs> she said, just get going, would you? <laughs> I want to ask a rhetorical question as I begin. Is this issue of money simply about stewardship? Is it simply a stewardship issue? And uh, the answer to that is no, it is not. Is what we're going to talk about simply how to become better stewards of our money? Is it so that we can have a sound financial plan? Let me tell you, if your financial plan is winning the lotto, it will not work for you, especially if you never play it like we don't. 
Is this important so that we have an inheritance that we pass on to our children and our children's children? Is that simply what we're worrying or thinking about today? Is it so that we can live comfortably in retirement one day in our lives, which is the stage that Kath and I are now in or rapidly approaching in various ways? The answer to all these is no, obviously. It is not simply about those things, although none of those in themselves are bad and many of them are very good. But it's about the fact that our lives are to be distinctive, that the gospel shapes our lives when we believe it. And the purpose of our lives being shaped is that they are a distinctive challenge, a countercultural challenge to the way that everyone else around us lives. It sets us apart. It sets us apart. The gospel sets us apart from everyone else when we believe it and when we live by it. Our sexuality and our purity, our thoughts of that are different. Our marriages and the way we live with our families are different from everyone else around us in many ways. Our singleness, when we're a single individual, a man or a woman, young man or a young woman, or older man or older woman, in our singleness, it's different in how we choose to live it than others who do not know Jesus. The way we make decisions, the kinds of decisions that we make, the friendships and communities that we involve ourselves in. All of these things are different for us because of the gospel. Because the gospel has impacted our lives, it's shaped and it is shaping our lives and the purpose is that we would be set apart and we know the big holy word is holy. The word in theology is holiness. We're set apart to God. So we're living in this amazingly Increasingly consumer-based, materialistic world. And so how we view and handle money is a powerful means of testifying to the truth of the gospel. How we view and how we deal with our money is a powerful means of testifying to the truth of the gospel. And it should, if we obey the word of God, set us apart in a unique way from all those around us who do not believe. A very well-known scripture that we don't like to read, but we need to think about, was the one Paul told Timothy before we look at the Proverbs. Paul said to Timothy, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered away from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. It's not the, the, money itself is not the root of evil. It's the love of money that is the root of evil. And Jesus said essentially the same thing on the Sermon on the Mount when he said, you can't serve two masters because you're going to either love one and hate the other or you're going to despise one and serve the other, to be devoted to the other. And then he said, you cannot serve both God and money. Jesus had a lot to say about money. And of course, Solomon has a lot to say about money in the book of Proverbs. But I want to just say as we begin, and we all know this and we all believe this, but we don't all live this way, is that no amount of money can satisfy the deep longing of our hearts. And the world we live in is a very clear testimony to the truth of that when we see the people who have a lot of money 
And not all of them, but for many of them, the shambles that their lives become in spite of their great wealth. When we as believers master our hearts by the grace of God in the area of money and we live with contentment and we live with wisdom, it speaks powerfully to a watching world about the truth of Jesus Christ. And I will use that word, we master our hearts, but I have to add the the phrase, by the grace of God. Because there are many things that we ourselves must and can do in this area that we're going to look at today. The gospel finally is a message of freedom. This is an introduction to what I'm saying. It's a message of freedom, and nowhere is that freedom more important than from sin's consequences. So if the love of money is the primary root of sinful desire, and that's what Paul said, then living in freedom regarding our attitude toward money, our attitude toward money is a high priority. And I would say, listen, that it is a major part of our discipleship. And it's a part of discipleship that we often do not want to think about, we do not want to deal with, because frankly, in our culture today, it's becoming increasingly difficult to navigate our way through this minefield of surviving, living, existing, having fun, and being faithful with what we have. Let's begin in Proverbs. I want to say to begin, it is the financial uh, found, it is the foundation of financial wisdom. In this text in Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part, with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine, the New Living Translation says. Psalm 24.1, David wrote, the earth is the Lord, and listen, and everything in it, and the world and all who live in it. So we have to begin recognizing that everything we have, including our money, our wealth, comes from the Lord. I was thinking about this the other day. We sit down at the table and we pray. Every time we have a meal together as a family, we say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what you have provided for us. Do we really believe? Let me ask you. Do you really believe that the food that you're eating, that the money in your checking account or in your savings account came from God's provision primarily? Well, you say, I work hard. I work hard. I've earned this money. Yes, you have. But God, the word of God says is the provider and the one who has given all of this to us. It belongs to him. It belongs to him. And so in Proverbs it says, honor him with your wealth and with the best part of it. So this is the principle of first fruits. And this is where the whole thought of tithing comes in. And the giving of, of the first fruit of our income, of our, what we have. And I'm not going to teach on that this morning, and it's not the issue at hand, really. Although I will say to you, the Word of God does tell us to give the first and the best of what we have. Is the tithe New Testament? It's nowhere found in the New Testament, but I'll say to you that what the New Testament asks for is much more. It says it all belongs to Him, it's all His. So the least we can do is give him the best part of it. 
We give him the first day of the week this Sunday. We give him the first morning of the first day of the week as our offering to him of worship and praise. The first fruit of it is his. The first fruit of everything belongs to the Lord. The best belongs to him. Not when it's convenient, not when we're able, but always it belongs to him. And I would just say we must learn to be consistent in everything that we do in giving to God, whether it is our time or our energy or our money. Because consistency proves that we believe it. Consistency proves that we're free and that we're not under obligation, but we're doing it from a heart of worship. And so I would encourage you, if you are not yet disciplined in your giving of your first fruit, whether it is your time or energy, in this case, your money, begin to do it. Because the word of God says that he'll fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. In other words, there will be a blessing because of your faithfulness. Even when you don't think you can afford to do it. Learn to be consistent. Learn to be faithful. Why? Because the first fruit belongs to him. It's his. And if we really believe, if we really believe that everything we have has come from him, then it's no problem giving back to him the best of it. It's an act of incredible worship that pleases him. Brothers and sisters, be faithful in your giving to the Lord. Be faithful and consistent week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out. And it honors and pleases him. The second truth that we find in Proverbs is to live contentedly and free from greed. Live contentedly and free from greed. And so I would say to what this means to me is I'm thankful for what I do have. I may not have everything I want, but I certainly have everything I need. And I am thankful. I am thankful for what I do have. As Nick said when he was introducing us, Kath and I have been in ministry since 1981, 42 years. And... um, through those 42 years, we have had a lot, of ups and get, a lot of ups and downs. And there's been more than one time when we weren't sure if we were going to survive it, uh, the downtime, not emotionally or spiritually, but financially. When churches go through things, and the kinds of churches that we've planted and that this church is, um, it's not a denominational church in a sense where there's a huge Uh, treasure somewhere the denomination has to bail you out when you go through things you just you just go through it and so there's been more than one time where things have been so tight that we've looked at each other and I've looked at Kath and I said to her babe no matter what we have each other and we have our family and I'm thankful for that and God is faithful and God has been faithful and I'm going to share with you uh, toward the end of my teaching this morning the faithfulness of God in our lives in a more specific way. But we have been content with the little that we have. I remember more than one time when we had not enough money, one Christmas when we had to go buy the very last Christmas tree at Home Depot the day before Christmas because that's all we could afford. It was a little Charlie Brown Christmas tree. 
It was barely alive. And we took it home and decorated it because we only had a few bucks left at that time to buy that Christmas tree. But I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful that we were able to do that. Our kids had a Christmas tree. We had, one year we had to get Christmas trees from a friend of mine who was a um, uh, uh, landscaper. Thanks, babe. And so he brought two trees over in the containers and we put them in our living room in the containers and decorated them. You might go, this dude has not any idea with what to do with his money. He's, Why is he teaching this morning? Um, I'm sure there are others in this room. That's the other thing I was thinking today is that this room is representative of all sorts of experiences right now. Some of you have more than you need. Some of you have a lot of wealth and God's blessed you with a lot of wealth for, in, for many different reasons. Others of you are maybe like we were at that point, struggling to make ends meet. Doesn't matter where you are, the word is still true to each one of us. The author of the Hebrews said this. He said, keep your lives free, listen, from the love of money and be content with what you have. And this is the reason. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. The reason we can be content is because we have God. Not only do we have our family, in that case, Kath and my kids, but we also have the Lord. The Lord is with us. And so the writer to the Hebrews said, that's enough reason that you can always be content. Because you are known by God, you are loved by God. You are a child of God. So in this materialistic world, Solomon in Proverbs and in Ecclesiastes, he urges us to find contentment in what we have rather than striving endlessly, continuously for more. Ecclesiastes 5.10, those who love money, listen, will never have enough. And then he said how meaningless it is to think that wealth brings true happiness. This is a very wealthy man saying it. Solomon. Those who love money will never have enough. So if we can learn to have a content heart, it's going to free us from this continual bombardment of consumerism that we live in in 21st century California. And you in Southern California, we in Northern California. Our hearts can be free when they're content from the love and the need simply to acquire more. A third important principle is simply Proverbs 10:4, that lazy people are soon poor. So hard workers, he says, get rich. And I want to just say that in my own understanding, what this means is that the daily grind isn't all bad. The daily grind isn't all bad. It's not bad that the nine to five, and for many of you, you're not even working nine to five anymore. You're working home from home, and it's different hours, whatever it may be. The, the, the daily going to work, whether it's going to your computer or driving to an office or wherever, whatever it may be, that is not all bad. The importance of diligence and hard work is clearly found in the book of Proverbs. Success comes from diligence and hard work. 
working every day, paying your bills on time, week after week, month after month, year after year, produces a dividend, the word of God says, in your life. I'll say this more than one time today. Faithfulness and consistency is a key in godly, to godliness in the Christian life. Being faithful, being consistent, going to work, doing what you need to do, paying your bills on time, giving to the Lord the first fruit, doing consistently every single opportunity creates a great dividend in our lives. At one point in our life, Kath and I had to move to Lake Arrowhead. We were living in Santa Barbara and we moved to Lake Arrowhead. Um, I went up there to teach in a Bible college Calvary Chapel Bible College, and uh, we got up there, and um, when I got up there two weeks before school was to start, I was to teach uh, Genesis and Romans, and we moved, I moved my family up there, and when we got up there, I found out that I didn't have a job, and uh, the worst of it was I had just quit a job as a fireman in Santa Barbara to get up there. So not only did I not have a job, I just gave up a great career to go up there to teach in this Bible college. And even worse than that was we had a home that we owned in Santa Barbara that we had just sold. I got to tell you, the house that we sold, we bought it for $37,000. Listen, hey, we made a great profit. We made $60,000 on it. We sold it for ninety-three. I looked yesterday. Guess what it's worth today? 1.3. The same little 1,100-square-foot house in Santa Barbara. $1.3 million. We sold it for ninety-three. dollars Shut up, you guys are laughing at me. I mean, we thought we were rolling in the dough, man. We had $60,000. But I quit a great career job in Santa Barbara. To move my family to Lake Arrowhead to teach in a Bible college, we get up there, and I find out two weeks before I teach, there's no job. The guy that hired me had been fired, and he'd been replaced, and I had been replaced with one guy. She cried for about a year. Not that long. <laughs> 10 months. <laughs> Needless to say, it was not an easy time in our life. I ended up framing houses in Lake Arrowhead in the snow through the winter, doing construction. And if you know Lake Arrowhead, it snows up there, and it gets cold. Many a day, many a day, I was on a roof, sheeting a roof in the winter, asking the Lord, what am I doing? Lord, what are you doing? Not with me, but to me. What are you doing, Lord, with us? But God was shaping me, and he was shaping us through that experience. It really, and that was really the root of our call to serve him. That was the beginning of it. We obeyed when we left. We believed it was the call of God for us to do what we did. We went in faith. We found ourselves in circumstances we would never have chosen. And through those circumstances, God began to shape our lives in a significant way. We gave up a lot 
in obedience to follow. And I have to tell you this morning, God has been faithful. He's been incredibly faithful to us. I still dream about going back to Santa Barbara someday. <laughs> I don't think we're going to be able to. <laughs> Hard work. Hard work. I wasn't, would not have chosen to work in the snow in the winter on the roof with a 12 and 12 pitch, framing a house. But God was doing something in me. God was preparing us for more things ahead in our obedience as we would follow and live in faith. Another very important principle that you guys are all very familiar with is the danger of debt. How many of you have friends? How many of you yourself have said, oh man, they just repoed my truck? They, rep they repoed my truck. I've never had any car or vehicle repoed, thank goodness. Almost lost a house um, due to being unable to pay property taxes, so I had to sell a car to pay the property taxes. This is in the middle of planting churches. Um, Proverbs 22.7 says, the poor are ruled by the rich regarding debt, and those who borrow are slaves of money, money lenders. Debt is a heavy burden, and it, it enslaves us to financial institutions. Um, it's very hard in our society to live fully debt-free, obviously, today. Um, but we should really avoid excessive borrowing as believers, as much as we are able to. Prioritize being responsible in, your, in our spending. Kath and I, at times in our lives, did the cash envelope. Have you ever done the cash envelope? Yeah. Some of you might even be doing it today. We did it. We had only so much we could afford every month. Our, we were living literally from paycheck to paycheck, whatever the church was able to pay us. And I was working sometimes other, other ways to make money, and Kath as well. But we had a certain fixed budget that we had to stick to, so we would take X amount of dollars and we would put it in envelopes and, and label them gas, gasoline, food, fun, which was pretty small envelope. <laughs> it was like 20 bucks in that one or something, you know, just so the kids could have fun, you know. So we had to live that way, and, and it's, it's not a bad way to live. If you have a hard time with your spending and disciplining yourself, it's a good way to do it. And when the envelope is empty, the envelope is empty. And you have to wait till the next pay period to put money back in the envelope. You know how it works. Try to live debt-free, saints, as much as you can. It's terribly difficult now in our society, especially when it comes to housing. To be, it's almost impossible to do that, obviously. Even car payments now, it's hard to afford to purchase a car. And I mean, here I am, I'm a boomer. I'm talking to you youngins. And a lot of what I think is coming from a history that was different from what any of you have ever known. But there used to be a time when you could buy a car without having to have payments. Um, and there used to be a time when a young couple could afford a home just starting out. Those days are now rapidly ending. But I would encourage you, nevertheless, not to be house poor, not to purchase something that you can't afford. 
And so you, your whole life you're enslaved to something that you can't afford. If you have to wait, wait and pray and trust God and be content with what you can afford. Amen? Try to avoid it. Try to avoid debt. And with that is Proverbs 21, 5, the perils of impulse buying. The plans of hardworking people, Proverbs 21, 5 says, earn a profit. But those who act too quickly become poor. The plans of hardworking people earn a profit, but those who act too quickly become poor. If you decide this afternoon to Put something on your credit card that costs 5,000 bucks simply because you feel like you want to do it and you deserve it or you really want it and you can't really, you don't have the money, the cash on hand, but you want it, so you just figure, I'm just going to charge it on my credit card. I, I looked it up just this week. The average credit card right now is, the interest on it is, where did I write it down? Yeah, it's like 20, some 24%. 24%. There, I put it on the screen. That's where I wrote it down. I put it in my notes. I was looking for my handwriting on the side of my notes. 24% interest right now. So if you borrow $5,000 on your credit card and you determine, I'm going to pay it off in two years, okay, your payment would only be $265 a month, but you would have paid $1,350 in interest. Thirteen fifty in interest, five for two years, five thousand dollars. And the reality is, and I know this myself, you wouldn't be disciplined to pay the two sixty-five a month. You would pay the minimum, which might be thirty-seven a month, and your interest goes from fifteen hundred to who knows what in ten years, or if ever, right? Impulse buying. I'm a dreamer. I dream. I dream big. I dream out loud all the time. And Kath's like, mm, settle down. I just told her the other day, I'm going to buy that house in Santa Barbara back someday. <laughs> Lord God, you hear my heart's cry. Someday I want to buy that house back. I... That's bad. Just think about what a bad deal that would be financially. <laughs> having owned it and now paying a million dollars more for it. But I'm a dreamer. I dream. I think out loud. I, I'm more impulsive. I'm adventurous. I like change. Those get me in trouble. They can get you in trouble financially when that's your temperament. A lot of people are measured. Thank goodness. My wife is measured, careful, thoughtful, and so we need that wisdom in our lives. And that's what the Word of God encourages, is not to be impulsive, to be patient and diligent in planning and saving and building wealth. Building wealth takes time and takes patience. And so the Word of God says, don't be hasty. But listen, trust in God's timing and providence. Trust in God's timing and providence. Another very important principle is Proverbs 11.25, the blessing of generosity. 
And I would add, not just when I have extra, but even if it's all I have. Not just when I have extra, but even when it's all that I have. We all know the story of in Luke 21 of the widow. Jesus sitting in the temple saw her come and give two little coins, put them in the little offering. And he looked around at the people around, all the disciples and other people that could hear him. And he said, I tell you the truth, this woman has given more than all of you, all the rest of you. Because she gave out of her lack and you all have given only out of your excess. You've only given what you had extra. The word of God teaches us to give generously out of generosity, even out of our heart, even when we don't feel we can afford to do it. But to be willing to give. Pick up the check when you go out with other people. Be the one who is the first to offer, to open your home in hospitality. Be the one who is willing to be generous when you know that someone uh, could be encouraged through your generosity or would need the help. I learned a really important lesson at a really young age when I was first saved. Living in Santa Barbara, I had this truck that I had bought before we were married, and I decided to sell my truck, and so some guy came and he, he wanted to buy it. And uh, I don't remember how much it was. Let's say I was selling it for $5,000, or maybe it was 3000 I don't remember at the time. And he came and he said, listen, I can't afford all of that right now, but I can give you a thousand right now and I'll pay you every month if you would allow me to do that. And I looked at him and I'm a young believer, you know, and I looked at this guy and he seemed to be really sincere and genuine and honest and honorable. And so I said to him, I said, yeah, man, I said, you know what, I can do that. I'll, I'll do that for you. I believe you'll pay me. And so he gave me the thousand bucks and the next month he came and he gave me 500 more right when he said that he would. And I was like, ah, thank you. You know, this guy's doing what he said. Well, then another month came and went, and I didn't hear from him. And then another month came and went, and I didn't hear from him. And I'm thinking, okay. And one day I hear he knocks at the door, and he's standing there, and he looks at me, and he says, listen, he said, I know that I told you that I was going to do this, and I truly in intended to do it, but I want to tell you that I simply cannot afford to do it now. And he's like standing there looking at me like, what do you want? You want me to give you the truck back? What do you want? What do you want to do? And I just felt in my heart at that moment, I felt like the Lord said to me, give him the truck. Give him the truck. Now, some of you have given away a lot more than that. So that's not a great, noble thing really on my part. But for me at that moment in my life, it was because we hardly had anything. We could have sure used that $3,500 or whatever it was at that point. And I just said, you know, listen, I said, I think I just you can have it. And I told him that I believed. I said, listen, I'm a Christian, and I believe that this is what God wants me to do for you. And he was incredibly grateful. He was sincere. I don't know if the Lord used that in his life or not. That wasn't even the point. I just felt like God said, give it to him. But it kind of, it shaped me. It shaped me. And I would have to say to you that in my own life right now, generosity is not difficult for me. I find it easy, and I, I actually like to be generous. It's a blessing, isn't it? When you're generous, when you are able to give to others. When you do for people things that they didn't expect, that they couldn't have done for themselves, and that simply 
enhances their life in a very positive and beautiful way. The power of generosity is a wonderful thing. Hoarding our wealth can lead to spiritual poverty, brothers and sisters. But freely giving to others leads to greater abundance, the word of God says. When we're open-handed and generous, God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. And as we do that, we're displaying the love of God to other people. And God's care for other people. Didn't Jesus say, freely you have what? Received. So what? Freely give. We are wealthy in this world. We are the wealthy in this world. Regardless of your personal state today, you are. Freely you've received, and we said this in the beginning, it all belongs to the Lord. It's all come from his hand, from his provision. Therefore, we should be able to freely give out of what he has given us so abundantly. And I want to close by just testifying to you today what God has done in our life. And I'm going to give you a very condensed version of it because it could be a long version. But before we do that, I want you to turn to me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy. Actually, it's going to be on the screen. You don't need to. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. I want to close by just saying this to you, that the challenge in the Word of God, not just in the book of Proverbs, but throughout the Word of God, is to take hold of that which is truly life. The challenge is to take hold of that in our lives, listen, which is truly life. Take hold of that which is truly life in your life. Because not all of life is truly life. And not all that flows into your life is truly life. Paul wrote this to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 17. He says, as for the rich in this present age, that's us, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good. Now, I think Paul sums up all of the Proverbs we just read in this one passage. He says they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, for the eternity, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. What an amazing thought that what we sow right now is sown into eternity. What we do in this life is, is, is laying a foundation for an eternal existence. Do you believe that? If we do, then we're going to obey God's word. I want to testify to you today of what God has done for Kath and I. Some of you will not be able to relate to it at all. Some of you won't uh, have much impact. Others of you, I hope it really, really encourages you, but to all of you, I want to say that I pray that it would testify to you of the goodness of God. Kath and I, as I said, have been in ministry for 42 years. We've started, planted two churches in Northern California. We were planted the first one out of uh, Calvary Chapel. Uh, the second one we planted as a vineyard, 
Um, both of them were vineyard at one point. We handed the first one over after six years and planted, or seven years, and planted the second one in Sacramento. And that's the church that my son, Matt, now is leading. It's the same church. Through the 42 years of ministry, we have had ups and downs. We've endeavored to be obedient. Everything I've said to you today, we have really endeavored to do. We've been faithful in our giving, um, consistent. We have been generous whenever we could. We have tried to stay out of debt, as I said. We have tried to do things that we believe the Word of God taught with wisdom. And we've tried to invest. Um, I built a spec house when we were living in Lake Arrowhead. The interest rates in 1980, listen, mortgage rates, 18%. 18% in 1980, 30-year mortgage. I built a spec house trying to make some more money when I was a carpenter up there and uh, sold the spec house and I had to carry a second on on the spec house because they were doing all kinds of creative financing because people couldn't afford homes with 18% 18 loans. So I carried a second on it, went up to Northern California to, to start the church after we left Lake Arrowhead. Started building a home myself for our family up there because I knew how to build now. So I was building a home and I was depending on the money from the sale of the spec home uh, to, to, to actually to continue to allow us to build the house. Oh, the person who bought the home defaulted on the note and I has had the second on the note and I could not afford to, carry, to pay off the, the loan. So we lost the house. So we lost our investment in that house. Um, we, we were blessed, though. I was thinking about this. That little house in Santa Barbara, that $60,000 that we earned, we lost some of it in the spec house, but other, the, uh, the rest of it, I was able to start building another home that we ended up being able to finish, sell. I bought another piece of land. We built another home. I built a second home. Without it, I was able to finish and build and sell. So what we have been able to do because of that little house in Santa Barbara was build two houses and sell them and, earn, and make some money so that we now own a home where we live because of that little house in Santa Barbara 45 years, 50 years ago. But along the way, we've tried to invest in wisdom. Um, we met a, a Christian who was um, wanting to invest in a business in, in, in another country um, prior to 9-11, and we made a major investment through a Christian uh, organization that was a very, uh, we thought, very uh, secure and a very uh, wise uh, loan. We lost a lot of money <laughs> because of 9-11. They closed down the investment, and they, they froze the finances, and the nation that we had invested in froze the money and kept it, and they never returned it to us. We lost a lot of money in that and some friends of ours lost even more. Trying to do what we thought was wise things. We've never been able to make any money. <laughs> Ever. We've only just, just lived from check to check. And what's that, babe? Because that yeah, because... This, okay, she's, she's, she's giving the whole sermon right there. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, I won't. She's saying, don't end there. Don't end on that. No, we were, we were in the hands of God. He was, he was shaping and teaching us something of faith. 
of how to live by faith, but not to uncover her, but I'm going to. Um, along the way, Kath would say, how are we going to live when we're older? When I was about, uh, I guess I was, I just started the first church. I was maybe, I was 29 years old. And I had the CPA and he said to me, he said, you know, you should opt out of social security. It won't be there by the time you need it anyway. So I said, he goes, but you should try to save towards, you know, retirement. But opt out of social security. So I did. I opted out of social security. But of course, we weren't ever able to save. We were just getting by. So here we are in our 40s and then our 50s. Still really young. And then we hit 60, and it's not so young. And Kath is looking at me, and she's going, what are we going to do? And I would say to her, and this is more than one time, I looked at her, I said, babe, I said, I honestly don't know, but I believe the Lord will take care of us. I do, I believe. We have been faithful. We have honored him. We've been faithful. We have served him faithfully. I, I trust God. I do. I said, babe, I trust the Lord. It's not as easy for her as it is for me to do that. She was trusting me and to trust him in sometimes, in some ways. So we're going through life and actually thinking about handing the church over to Matt. And our church is about the size of your church and doesn't have a ton of money, but it's been good to us. But we knew that Matt needed to be supported now with a f all the kids he has. And, <laughs> and of course, he deserves it, um, leading now. So we chose to take a cut in our pay so that Matt would be able to have more. And we're, she's looking at me, and what are we going to do? Well, I mean, I could work at Costco, I think, or I could, you know. What, you start, all those things go through your mind. And honestly, you're willing to do them. Well, about... Ten years ago, this older man lived, who lived next door to us, who we had never really known. We've lived in our home we've lived in now for a long time. We never really got to know him. About ten years ago, um, his wife passed away. And we didn't really know her that well either. We'd see them once in a while. He was a lot older, 20 years older than us. Um, and we found out his wife had died, and Kath ran into him outside one day, and she just started talking to him. And you'd have to see this guy. He was a, a Navy vet, salty, gruff, and grumpy Navy vet from Boston, which adds to it. And he barely had the time of day to answer when she said, listen, would you like to come over for dinner sometime? And his answer, pardon me, was, ah, what the hell, sure. That's how he was. So he came over for dinner one night, he ate, and he left as soon as he was finished. I mean, literally. <laughs> Never asked one thing about, like, nothing about us, we're trying to talk to him. Never asked us a word. But we kept at him, we kept talking to him, we'd see him, invite him over. Pretty soon he started to come around more and more and become friends almost. And he and I became almost friends. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, there became a, a real strong affection that grew between us. And eventually, uh, his, he became part of our family. When we had our whole family, we have 
We have 13 grandkids. There's 23 of us when we're all together. When we would all be together, we would invite him in and he would be part of our family. He was there for Thanksgivings, for Christmas, for birthdays. He was part of our family. Still gruff, still salty, but there. Eventually, he gave his life to Jesus. And he was at that time in his late 80s and he came to faith. And he started coming to our church Every single week he would come and he started giving and out of, out of his own you know, wealth to the church and just began to really become part of our family. Then he had a real severe illness and ended up in a, in a home and I started taking care of his personal uh, needs. Um, he had no one. He had no wife. All of his, he had three children that had all died. He had nobody, no, no one. We were the only people in his life at that point. And so I started taking care of his needs, um, paying his bills, picking up his mail, taking it to him, um, dealing with the personal issues that he had, his needs. Um, and uh, he started to decline more and more. And then he came home for a while, and I set up all of his personal needs there with nursing. and I did everything that he needed to be done for him. Called the ambulance more than one time when I would find him on the floor, um, visiting him in the, the homes that he was in, the nursing and care homes. And one day he took me aside and he said, I want you to read this. And I looked at him and what he had done was he had done his will and he would redone it and he left everything to Kath and I. And he left his full inheritance to us, which was such an incredibly humbling and powerful grace moment for us. Um, and he owned a home free and clear, and he had monies that he had accumulated and saved and so on. And he left it all to us. And he passed away in May of last year. And what that did was it changed our lives radically. I mean, completely. Because it took us from not knowing to now at the age that we are, having absolute security, as much as the society we live in economically will allow it, because who knows what could happen next week, right? we have this amazing sense of security, but it's because of God's faithfulness. And when I told Kath about it, I don't know, you even want to say something about it, babe? Why don't you come up here for a minute? Get the mic and come up here. Why don't you just, just share your heart about this just quickly? Well, I think you pretty much have, have said it, but I think in that moment when um, Rick had told me it really wasn't so much about the money that he would left, but it was such a powerful moment of all those times I had said, what will the future look like? As we all try and plan, we do need to care for ourselves, our families. Right. And everything we tried just didn't pan out for us, in a sense. And yet, we always would go, I, the Lord just, this is what the Lord has for us. He wants us to trust in his faithfulness. And in that moment, all the times that I had said and wondered, what will we do? What will this look like? 
I was able to, in that moment, go, God, I cannot believe that you would provide for us and answer that need in this most remarkable way. Just something we never would have imagined. We tried on our part to do what we, what everybody tries to do, and God kept, we believed, saying no. And in this unbelievable way, God's kindness and goodness was extended. That, I mean, like, I could sit here and cry right now. It's just, it's so unbelievable. And, and I know that, and I, and I absolutely believe that we have to keep our hands free with this. Yeah. Because in a moment, it can be gone. Yeah. But I told Rick the other day, but the great lesson is that I know God's faithfulness in this big way. He provided this. And if it was taken away, he would provide again. Yeah. And it's never maybe what we think or even in, to the degree that we want, but it is God's hand that has provided this. And so it's, it's a remarkable testimony of God's kindness towards us. But he has been kind all along. All along the way. All along. When we had very little and when we had more, I mean, there has never been a moment that we have not looked at each other and not been amazed at God's faithfulness to us in keeping us in our marriage and our children and in so many ways. And it goes, it's not about our possessions, but it's like, I believe that through the years we've taken a hold of God. Amen. And we have seen who God is yes. to us and for us. And this is just a remarkable, over-the-top thing mm -hmm. <laughs> in a really big way. But in this, we want to be very wise and careful and generous. So, yeah. Oh, you don't need this. So, trust the providence of God, brothers and sisters. And know that wherever you find yourself right now, God is shaping you. Be it a very hard place or be it a place of abundance. Like I said, keep your hands open. Be generous, be free. And, but trust the providence of God in your life. Trust that God is faithful, regardless of what you're personally experiencing in this area right now, because he is faithful. Amen. Stand with me if you would, and I'll pray, and then Nick can lead us. Father, I thank you this morning for the truth of the wisdom of Proverbs regarding money. And as I said, Lord, in the beginning, I pray that we would not hear these Proverbs is simply quaint sayings around a very familiar topic, but Lord, that we would hear your voice in them. We would hear your wisdom and your heart in them. And I pray for my brothers and sisters that are here this morning who are not free in this area of their life, that you would bring freedom in Jesus' name and you would bring wisdom, that you'd bring encouragement, you'd bring hope that you bring solutions. We thank you, Lord, for what you've given us. We know that it has come from your hand. You are a good and a loving and a kind God. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I know we've gone a little long, but one of the things you want to do is just um, respond to God's magnificent generosity in the giving of his son. And so while the band plays, we are going to give you freedom to go to the table. 
this is a family table, which means that um, this is for those that have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Uh, there's a table at the back, on the side, and at the front there's wine. Why don't you go and grab the elements and then we'll take communion together. Um, we hold in our hands what is possibly the worst deal for Jesus. We hold in our hands his broken body and his shed blood where he did not act impulsively, where he counted the cost. He said, no one takes my life from me, but I freely give this. And he gets us. I'm like, that's, that's a great deal for us. But that's something that cost him everything. And freely he gave those things. He didn't give some. He gave all of it. And as we take this bread that signifies his broken body, and we take this cup that signifies his shed blood, we remind ourselves of the generosity and the faithfulness of our God and King, the freedom that we stand in, regardless of where we are financially. We are free, been set free forever to be with him. I know when Rick told me that Dick came to faith, that was the most important thing for Rick. It was not what he received from Dick, but that one day he will see him face to face with Jesus because of a kind invitation for dinner. Let's take his broken body and his shed blood together. When we talk about these things, we can be filled with a lot of shame. We can be filled with anxiety. But um, I, I want you to know, if you're a member of this community and you're going through some financial hardship, please, will you let us know? Um, as a community, we want to help as a church. And I know that there are many people in this community that have been helped by others. Not just by generosity, but as Joey came to me now and he said, man, there was a time when I couldn't even look at my student loan statement. I had no idea what to do. And someone sat with me and prayed with me and helped me through that process. And I want to be able to do the same. And Joey and Brittany are on my left to your right. But I don't want you to leave in a state of anxiety or in a state of stress. I want you to know that God is your provider, that what you're going through right now is difficult and hard, but it is not the end. Let's sing together as we leave. All glory, all honor, all praise belongs to you because we know that we have a treasure that no moth can destroy, that no rust can destroy, no thief can steal. We know that we have a treasure that at the end of this age we will see you face to face and we will glory in who you are. Bless your church this morning, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.